Good evening. I want to begin by reading this evening from Hebrews chapter 2. Um, you'll see this in your bulletins on page 5, Hebrews two fourteen through 17. Let's hear the word of God. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the many ways we've heard it already. And we ask that you would bless it to us, and that we would hear with ears that uh, truly can hear and understand and, and believe. We ask that you would help us as we reflect on these um, great and precious truths about the birth of our Savior, to understand more fully who he is and who we are in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What I'd like to do this evening is tie together some of the things that we just confessed in that litany of confession, these various phrases and metaphors that John uses specifically to the incarnation. And this is one of the beautiful things about theology and about the system of theology that we have in the Bible. Because it's a system, you can start almost any place, indeed every place, and get to Jesus. It's a wonderful thing, and it's a, it's a helpful thing to see how these things connect. And so I want to talk to you tonight about the humanity of Christ, about his human nature, and consider why the incarnation is so important. Thinking about it, particularly through these sayings in John um, that we just um, confessed, that you have there in your bulletin. But before we do that, before we think about Jesus' incarnation, we have to remember that the incarnation is not just a birth. It's not just a human birth. It's God taking on human flesh. And that's very significant. The birth of Jesus is not just, um, not just about a very special birth, but it is the birth of God, in, so to speak. God taking on human flesh. We have these words given to Mary in Luke chapter 1. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you with the power of the Most High, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. In these words, and in many others, we come to see that the divinity of Jesus Christ is of supreme importance. If Jesus is not divine, then all of our worship of Him, our dependence on Him, our love for Him would be nothing less than idolatry. If Jesus was not divine, we would be worshiping only a sinful man who lied and pretended his way to the shameful death of a criminal. But this, of course, is not the case. And we have no need to fear about being confused because Scripture is crystal clear about this fact, isn't it? That Jesus is divine, that he is the Son of God. The Bible assigns to Jesus the names of God. It records the divine works he has done. It declares the things, uh, uh, declares 
things that he uh, is worthy of divine worship. And listen to these specific proclamations, crystal clear texts in the Bible, like Colossians 2.9, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Or Romans 9.5, speaking of the Jews, To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all. Blessed forever, amen. And one more crystal clear passage from 1 John 5.20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So these things and many other things in in Scripture are God's way of reinforcing the truth to us, It's a saving truth, the divinity of Christ, a truth on which our salvation depends. The divinity of Christ, in other words, is a non-negotiable point. It is essential to our piety, to our worship, to our life. Now, when we think about these things, there's always a subtle temptation in us to then devalue his humanity, to, as we lift up his divinity and consider it and worship him because of it, that we perhaps are tempted to think less of his human nature. When we consider his great divinity, we might wonder, why did the Son have to take on the form of humanity? He was God after all. Couldn't he have saved us without humiliating himself, without undergoing death? Well, this answer, as we read in Hebrews 2, is no. He had to be made like his brothers, Hebrews 2 says. He had to. Without the incarnation... God's holy will, decreed from all eternity, would be left undone, and you would not be saved. Now, to get at this, what I want to do, as I mentioned before, is use the various phrases, these titles that we have um, in John and in your bulletins and that litany of confession. Kids, what you can do if you happen to have a bulletin nearby or just a good set of ears are listen for these various titles. See how many you can find over the next few minutes, okay? So the first one is this living word. I'm also going to consider Jesus as Jacob's ladder. In 1 John 1.1, we are told this, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Then, in verse 14, we're told another thing, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that he was full of grace and truth. So what do we, how do we think about this in terms of the incarnation? Well, we could put it this way. Without the incarnation, God in his love and truth would have forever remained apart from us, apart from humanity, from flesh. But since he came to us in grace and truth, we can be with him. And thus he's like Jacob's ladder, as we confessed, spanning heaven and earth so that God's blessings can come to us. Lamb of God. What about all the sacrifices and offerings which, through which God came close to his people while they were still under Moses? Weren't these good? Weren't these a way of dealing with sin, of, of, of helping God and his people to be close? Well, here we are reminded how good, of it, how good it is that Jesus is called the Lamb of God. For the sacrifices were, quote, according to Hebrews 10, a shadow, shadows of the good things to come, instead of the true form of the realities. 
That's what the sacrifices were, according to the author of Hebrews. They were shadows of the things to come, not the true realities. They could not remove sin in themselves, but in their union with the Lamb of God, they would. Without the incarnation, in other words, the sacrifices and all God's people and everything they went through would have been nothing, would have been meaningless, a waste of time. But because of the incarnation, according to Hebrews 10.10, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. What about Messiah and Son of Man? How are these important to the incarnation? Well, Messiah, or Christ, both these words mean the anointed one. As, uh, it, it refers, the anointed one, the Messiah, refers to this great promised son of the Old Testament, this anointed one by the Holy Spirit, who would come into the world, accomplish the Father's will. And what was his will? To send a warrior king called the Son of Man in Daniel 7, to rescue his chosen people, establish an everlasting dominion over the entire earth in which all peoples, nations, and languages would serve him forever and ever. This, however, we're told in Daniel 9, would only be possible if the anointed one were cut off. It would only be possible through the bodily death of the anointed one. So without the incarnation, there would be no triumph over, God, over the enemies of God as they relate to humanity. But, the, but with the incarnation, what do we read? We read that death has lost its sting. Or as it says in Hebrews 2 here, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. What a blessed thing it is that the Messiah became flesh. This victory over dominion, over the dominion of darkness and his rule as in a kingdom of light also makes him Lord of the Sabbath, as well as the resurrection and the life. Though victory would come through suffering on the cross, and at the end of his suffering, or I'm sorry, but at the end of his suffering and the suffering of his people, we are promised in Scripture a final jubilee, a kind of Sabbath of Sabbaths, according to Daniel 9. And in other words, there will come, after the suffering, after the death, after the cutting off of the anointed one, and the end of all things, an everlasting reign of peace and rest for all who were once wearied and burdened and heavy laden. Without the incarnation, the eternal Sabbath would forever be an unattainable reward. But by working on your behalf, on fighting and fighting on your behalf, in obeying on your behalf, Jesus gives us an eternal rest. He is Lord over the Sabbath and gives the Sabbath to us. An eternal rest where our bodies, because of His, will forever be full of life and of peace. And as ruler of this kingdom of light, he is rightfully called the light of the world that overcomes the darkness. He is a supernatural light that scatters the darkness in our hearts and fills us with his light. Without the incarnation, there would be no coming of light into the world, not in this saving way, 
we would still be cowering and trapped in the prisons of our sin. But because he is the light of the world, Jesus says in John 8, 12, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And speaking of life, Jesus is also called the bread of life. Oh, how impossible this would be without the incarnation. For as our Savior says in John 6, 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him for the, I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The incarnation. When we take all these things together, we have a complete picture described by yet another title, a three-word title. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Without the incarnation, without his coming to us to take on our flesh, to suffer for us, to battle for us, um, to bring us into this everlasting kingdom of his Father, the Ancient of Days, we would still be like sheep who have gone astray, each turning our own way, falling after the stupid fancies of our hearts. But Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is our dear shepherd, the good shepherd. Because of the incarnation, our good shepherd is able to lay down his life for the sheep. Because of the incarnation, he lays down his body for those whom he loves and thereby lifts it up in their lives as well, our lives as well, bringing them by his way into those blessed green pastures of heaven. But though we must wait for some of these blessings, we are told in Scripture that we need not wait for them all. For Jesus is also the true vine, through whom we bear the fruit of righteousness. Through Jesus, we are sustained and made alive to the service of God, We are protected by his strength from the evil one and tenderly pruned by the hand of the Father. Without the incarnation, we would be nothing more than a dead branch on the ground, worthy of being thrown into the fire of God's wrath. But because Jesus came in the flesh, uniting himself to our humanity, we are thus united to him and bear forth fruit, not just for God, but the fruit of God. So, when you consider this Christmas Eve, the human birth of the Son of God, when you are amazed and stand in awe at the unspeakable wonder that that God became man, remember that not only is this amazing, it is also God's perfect means of your salvation. Without the incarnation, you would be still blind and lost and jailed and hungry. Without the incarnation, you would not be free but shackled up in the eternal prisons of darkness. Without the incarnation, your life would be no life. You would be dead, incapable of producing anything good for God or man. But because God became man... We have a divine savior of humanity. We have someone whom we can put all our hope, all our trust, and all our life in. 
We have in this anointed Son of God our rescuer, our deliverer, and our eternal king. So how shall we conclude? I'll simply say this. In light of the things we've considered, in light of the incarnation of God, let each one of you put every ounce of faith you have, whether uh, it's very little or a little bit more, (laughs) but put it all in Jesus. For as you see, Scripture is very clear. Apart from him, you are as good as dead, worthy of the wrath of God. But in him, you receive everything. You receive everything you could ever hope and dream of, anything that is truly worthy to be called good in life and glory. And by his strength and his light and his power, you have all that you need to bring God glory forever. May God grant these and all good things to us through Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your Son, anointed by the Spirit, to accomplish all these things for us. What miserable sinners we are and how quickly we even still forget these things. Those who have been changed by the light, those who have been loved by you, those who have been drawn close and and, uh, received um, these glorious gifts. We repent of these things, Lord, and we ask that you would lift us up in the great forgiveness that comes through the one who took on our flesh so that he might be a great sacrifice for sins, a lamb of God who takes away our sins, even the sins of the world. We ask that you would bless us in him um, tonight and forever, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.